Say what's up to somebody new. All right, that's about enough of that. All that friendliness and that love of the spirit. I can see this group over there is going to be trouble today. So let's dismiss them. So elementary kids, you guys are dismissed for the day. And then um, youth group, so middle school, high school, you guys are in or out. That You're out today with Pastor Chris. So uh, youth group, if you want to go, you are welcome to go. Get out in Jesus' name. And everybody else, great text uh, this morning. Uh, before we get into it, guys, can I really encourage you, uh, come out. We're trying to get our men's ministry breakfasts back up and going. Uh, so first one of those coming up this Saturday, and we are going to start a study kind of right through the book of Philippians. So there'll be a little continuity to that meeting now. We'll meet once a month uh, down at the church, I should say up at the church office. Um, we'll have some burritos, we'll have some breakfast stuff. Uh, most importantly, just a time of fellowship uh, with one another and a time, another opportunity during the week uh, just to dive in and to be ministered to from the word. And uh, we're, we're kind of buttoning up some of the details, but guys, I'll just tease. We're working on something special uh, for the men, um, probably uh, end of uh, April timeframe, or at least after Easter timeframe, a, a getaway day for us just to get away as guys. And, uh, and just spend some time uh, with one another and some time uh, in the Word. We've got a special teacher that is going to come up and minister to us uh, that weekend. So more details on that to come when we get the details uh, ironed out. So if you need a Bible this morning, we have extra Bibles. You're going to want one to be able to follow along just to make sure I'm not making things up up here. Uh, so if you need one, raise your hand and we'll have one of the guys bring one to you. Uh, you can certainly, okay, so one over here, Rick, a couple over here, another one there. Um, David, thank you guys. Um, if you want to use the Bible on your phone, that's fine too. I'm teaching out of the New King James Version, so uh, pull up that one and you can follow along and hopefully this will all make some sense. So we're going to be this morning in Mark chapter 4, um, but before we, uh, we get there, let's pray and just uh, once again ask the Lord uh, just to bless our time in the word today. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity that we have um, to be here together, Lord. We thank you for this time that you have set aside and this place that you have provided where we can gather as your body, Lord, to minister unto you through our worship and our devotion, Lord, and then to be ministered to by you, Lord, by your spirit, uh, through your word. And so uh, that's our prayer for this morning, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we're continuing right on through uh, our study through the book of Mark. Uh, when we last left off at the end of chapter three, remember that Jesus at this point in his ministry, he is at the height of his popularity. We've got these crowds that we've seen constantly pressing in on him, just trying to get, you know, to hear from him or, or even to be touched by him for healing and, and restoration. And this morning, we're going to head into what we might consider kind of a new phase or a new section, if you will, of the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to see that 
unfold in our text today, both what this new phase was and also why it was. Why it was that Jesus started to do things a little bit differently, which we're going to see today. We're going to see it in what is one of the most familiar passages in all of the gospel writings. Now, you'll remember when we left off, Jesus had just had this confrontation, right? A very public confrontation between himself and the Jewish religious leaders, right? Remember, they had come up from Jerusalem to check out what was happening up there in the Galilee, and they effectively accused him of being possessed by Satan himself. And you remember that Jesus answered them by reasoning with them and just simply kind of poking a hole in their flawed logic. And you remember that little, um, uh, that experience there. From there, we're going to continue on. We're still right there in the city of Capernaum, right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, again, he began to teach by the sea. It says, a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So we've seen this before, right? Remember back in chapter three, Jesus kind of used a fishing boat as his pulpit, right? He pushed out just a bit from the shore so that all of this great multitude, it's not just a multitude, right? It's a great multitude. Multitude. So this is a group perhaps of thousands of people lined up there on the shore and he pushes off just a little bit so that they could hear and see him as he shared with them what he's about to share. We, I think, mentioned last time that right there in that particular area, right there at Capernaum, the hills kind of rise right up from the shore. So the combination of those hills and the, the acoustics of the water there kind of creates this very natural kind of an amphitheater. So very easily, the voice of the speaker could be heard by thousands easily. It says in verse 2, then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. Now, we saw in our text last time, Jesus kind of introduced this new type of teaching as he first addressed the scribes and the Pharisees, right? It was the use of parables. But now he's moving into a new section of his ministry where he's now going to use these parables now to address the multitudes, right? This great group, these crowds that were following after him. And this begins a series of parables that are sometimes called the kingdom parables. And Jesus is going to explain some of the different aspects of this coming kingdom of God. And you remember really briefly last time, we said that a parable simply is an illustration taken from real life that helps to illustrate a spiritual truth. So this is the first of eight main parables that Mark records in his gospel account. But if you take all of the parables together from all four gospels, what you find is that Jesus spoke about 50 parables in all. And primarily, you find those in what are called the synoptic gospels, right? Matthew and Mark and Luke, certainly the majority in Luke and Matthew. Now, the English word parable comes from two different Greek words. There's para, which means alongside, and balos, which means to throw. So a parable means literally to throw alongside. 
You're throwing something alongside something else. And so what Jesus is doing in these parables, he's taking a physical something that these people would have been very, very familiar with related to their daily lives, and he's laying that or he's throwing that physically familiar thing right alongside of a deeper spiritual truth that he's trying to communicate them so that they can more fully understand its meaning. And in this case, as we're going to see now in our text today, this first main parable that Jesus introduces to them, it's usually known as the parable of the sower. But I will tell you that it's probably better entitled the parable of the soils, because that's really what it's more so about. And so that's what we're going to call it, because we can. And because, look, it says it on the slide. So that must be right. So we look at it. Jesus begins here in verse 3. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, you guys knew, right? We have to stop here just for a second. Because if anybody comes up to me and says, hey, listen, what do you do? You say, okay, right? Whatever comes next, it's probably going to be important. I need to probably tune in a little bit. Now, when Jesus says, listen, right, I am all ears at this point, right? When the creator of the universe says, listen, I'm going to listen. And then he even adds, behold. Now, behold just means look or it means watch. And so I think the sense of what Jesus is saying here is, look, I want you to pull up this picture in your mind. I want you to hear it. I want you to see it because what I'm about to say deserves the full attention of all of your senses. And so Jesus is speaking to us, right? Not just to this multitude that was there, but he's speaking to us in this room this morning. And I believe he says, listen and look. And now he's about to tell them a story which at least to them would have been very familiar in their kind of agrarian society. And what I want to do is I just want to simply read through the whole parable, right? Verses 3 through 9, and I'm going to read it through without any explanation, no interpretation, no commentary about what it means. And I know for some of you that's like a dream come true, right? You showed up at the right day. Wow, Bill's going to read nine verses and not stop at all. But I want to do it for a very simple reason, and that's this. Because what we're going to see when we get down to verse 14 is that this is a parable where Jesus himself will tell us himself exactly what it means. Right? He's going to give us both his own interpretation of the parable. He's going to give us also some application of the parable for our lives. And I'll be the first one to say that his commentary might just be a little bit better than any commentary that I could come up with. So this is the parable of the soils itself. And starting in verse 3 of Mark chapter 4, it says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, 
and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we all have ears, right? But not everyone has ears to hear. And I think that with those closing words of this parable, again, Jesus really challenges not only our attention, but he's challenging our comprehension, right? To really comprehend what it is that he's just said, because it's very easy only to listen with the outward ear and yet still fail to get the message down into our hearts. And what we're going to see is that that is precisely the point of a parable. Because before we look at the meaning of this parable, in particular, we're going to get a glimpse from Jesus into the purpose of parables in general. Look what happens next in response to what he taught. It says in verse 10, but when he was alone, right, so after the multitudes, it says then he, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So here, his closest, right, the 12 disciples and these others who were there with them, probably they'd been pondering this parable in their hearts. And so now they come to Jesus privately, and basically they're asking him, what did that mean? Right After the events and the activity of the day, probably after the multitudes had gone home for the night, verse 11, it says that he said to them, he says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. An odd statement by Jesus, right? But he starts to explain the parable first, again, by explaining the purpose of the use of parables. And to do it, here in verse 12, he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And what he's doing is he's showing that this is in part a fulfillment exactly of Isaiah's prophecy, right? Isaiah's prophecy said that when Messiah came, that he would do exactly this, that he would use this method, right? Using parables because this was part of God's plan to reveal the state of a person's heart, right? That these parables would simultaneously both reveal, but it would also conceal these kingdom truths. What parables do is they kind of become like a filter, a filter through which those who were genuine, right? Those who had pure motives and their, their hearts were pure and seeking like the disciples were, when they would listen to the parable, it would first of all, like we said, it would kind of arrest their attention and they would listen to it and probably say, well, I'm not exactly sure necessarily I understand this completely, right? But then because of their desire to really understand the things that Jesus was teaching, they'd start to kind of tear into it a little more and to, to kind of chew on it a little bit more deeply. And then all of a sudden, boom, right? The light goes on and they say, oh, I get it. Right? I see what this physical thing is saying about this spiritual reality. And then there's this sense of revelation, right? But then from another kind of person who was there also kind of hanging around Jesus, those who weren't there with honest motivations, right? They didn't have a heart that was seeking. There were people 
following Jesus at this point in his public ministry, and though they may have been listening to his teachings, they were not only not interested in giving any heed to it, but already in their hearts, they were completely opposed to him. Right? Some coming simply to see another miracle, some coming simply for more lunch, right? Some coming, as we've seen, to find fault with Jesus. Right? Remember the scribes and the Pharisees, they were precisely this kind of a person. They had already in their hearts rejected Jesus completely, and yet here they are right here, and they are part of this big crowd that's listening to Jesus. Right? Lots of different kinds of hearers in any crowd that surrounded Jesus. And so those who had already closed their minds and closed their ears and closed their hearts to the truth, these great truths of God, what Jesus said is, you know what, I'm now going to start to kind of obscure these truths from that kind of a person. And understand this, Jesus could have spoken so very powerfully and so very clearly that people would have been effectively forced to concede the logic of his flawless argument. And they would have been converted, if you will, almost against their will. So what Jesus chooses to do is he chooses instead to speak in a way that wouldn't manipulate people or, or sort of force them into making a decision because Jesus will never ever force himself upon anyone intellectually or emotionally or spiritually. So he speaks in parables so that those who really wanted to hear would truly hear, but those who wanted to see would truly see, but those who didn't, right? He pulls in this prophecy from Isaiah to remind us that this was all foreseen from the beginning, right? That when the Messiah came to this hard-hearted people, that he would teach in parables without explaining them so that those who insisted to stay in their own ignorance, that they would kind of be allowed to just go on ahead in their chosen path of blindness, right? This spiritually indifferent place. And this was nothing less than the righteous judgment of God upon those who refused to hear him and to find forgiveness. And I, I think just the, the reality of that should really speak to all of us today, just of the great privilege that it is just to be able to hear the word of God, just to have the kind of access to the word of God, right? Just the privilege of having a Bible even right now on your lap or in your hands or on your phone, right? Anytime that we want to have it. And I think that so often in the world that we live in, and I think we need to be careful of it also in our own lives, even as Christians, is this idea or this assumption, really, that somehow we can simply be indifferent to God. We can be indifferent to his word and that there won't be any consequences to that indifference. Right? It, to realize what a privilege it is, not just to hear the words of Jesus, but to get an understanding of these things that he spoke, right? To have that revelation and that understanding that the Spirit provides to us. And then, really, what a further privilege it is to be able to obey that revelation, right? And that revelation that we find in the entire body of the Bible, it is so incredibly precious. 
Because think about it, it stands so separate and so distinct and so counter to everything else that's in the world. And the, the word of God does what nothing else in the world can possibly do. And when Jesus speaks these words here to our hearts, I, I think it's a real message about the importance of never approaching the word of God with a sense of indifference. It's a privilege to search out the word, a privilege to hear from the Lord, a privilege to understand it. And to treat it with any kind of an indifference is an awful, awful thing. Because Jesus tells us right here that the word is going to remain hidden to precisely that kind of person. But what we're going to see in our text is that those who seek to truly understand the word of God, that to them, it's going to be revealed more and more, right? Measure by measure as they press further and further into the truth. So now we get starting in verse 13, we start to see now that happen. We start to see the parable of the soils explained. He says to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So this was the first, we said, of those kingdom parables that Jesus taught. These earthly examples that were unlocking this heavenly reality. And this is this parable which was going to shed light on the mystery of the kingdom. This new kingdom and the way that it was going to operate. And Jesus wanted to ensure that they understood very clearly how it was that they could press into these truths that these parables provided. So think about this parable. This is kind of like lower division parables 101. Right? This is kind of a prereq. It's a prerequisite course. It gives us this fundamental understanding about the kingdom, beginning with a right understanding of how one enters the kingdom and then also who exactly it is who will enter. Remember where we are at this moment in Jesus' ministry. We said he's at the height of his popularity with the multitudes, right? He's more than popular. He is wildly popular. So much so that at this moment he's out in a boat, right? Just so these multitudes won't crush him as he tried to speak to them. And this was not an unusual thing at this point. This is just the huge crowd that was gathered around him on that day. And it's not at all unlike the huge crowds that still gather around Jesus, if you will, even this morning. Crowds all around town, crowds all around the world, different churches, Jesus is still drawing these kinds of crowds. And yet what Jesus is about to teach these disciples Right at this critical point in his ministry, he's about to teach them about his ministry, is that there is a lot more to a crowd than meets the eye. Even to a crowd that's gathered around Jesus himself, that there are a lot more sort of dynamics that are happening here. Jesus is going to teach these disciples that any crowd that's going to gather in his name, including the crowds that would gather around their ministries later after his ascension, any crowd that gathers around the name of Jesus is going to be made up of a very wide variety of different people. And so Jesus is going to explain this parable in plain language, this earthly picture of seeds and of a sower and these four different kinds of soil onto which the seed could land. Now up in verse 3 he had begun by saying, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. 
And so the first thing he declares now in verse 14 is what exactly was being sown. What exactly that seed represented so there could be no confusion. In verse 14 he says that the sower sows the word. So this very first of the kingdom parables, the seed represents the word of the kingdom, speaking of the kingdom of God. So the seed refers to the word of God. And of course, we see that there's someone who's sowing it, right? Anyone who takes the word of God and speaks it or kind of sows it into another human being's life, they are the sower of the seed of the word of God. So Jesus is being a sower here at this point in his public ministry. The apostles later in the book of Acts or the other evangelists within that first century church, they were the source of the seed that we see there in that book. When you simply share the gospel with somebody else, you are sowing the seeds of the word of God. Maybe you're teaching a Bible study at home or at church or at school or at work. You are sowing the seed. And so our picture here, again, is this some kind of a sower who is planting seeds, right? That's the picture in our mind. But keep in mind, we're not talking here about digging little furrows and then planting a seed every four inches, like maybe like you would do in a, a garden box in your backyard. But the picture here is more like Johnny Appleseed, right? We're talking about a person with a full bag of seed just taking out handfuls of that seed and then just kind of broadcasting that seed, sort of throwing it all around across this broad area. And what happens when you do that is even if you're trying hard to be as careful as you can so that the seed lands on the best parts of the field, the fact is some of it's just not going to land on just the good soil. It's going to land on all different types of soil. And so that's this image that's being pictured here. In their minds, it would have been very, very familiar to them, something that they would have seen every year, year after year. And I think that what this picture communicates to us first and foremost is that God wants everyone to hear the word. He wants everyone to hear the gospel. And yet what they do with that gospel, right? what they do with the word of God, he knows that that's going to be very different. And so this parable is going to present these kind of four different kinds of possible soil that a seed could fall on, which represent for us the four different responses to the seed of the word. And the same thing that was true in Jesus' day is true today. Right? These four, there are four different kinds of hearers of the word of God in this room even now this morning. So when Jesus looks down from his perspective in heaven, he sees principally four different types of hearers of the word of God. He wants everyone to hear the gospel, right? Everyone to hear the word of God. That seed is broadcast out so that everybody has the opportunity to do with God's truth what they want. Everyone has a right to know it, but everyone is then individually responsible with what they do with it when they hear it. So Jesus spoke of this first soil up in verse 4. He says it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And then he explains to us in verse 15, he says, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately 
and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So right off the bat, he says there's some seed as the sower is sowing that lands not right in the field, but it lands off in the pathways that go around the field. Maybe these are the, the divisions that separated one person's field from another field. And when people walk on those areas and the soil becomes compacted, right? even dirt can become kind of like concrete to the point where it's almost impenetrable. And so he likens the soil specifically to the heart of a person. So this first heart is the hard heart, right? That hard-heartedly and wholeheartedly resists the word of God, right? Lays right there on the surface, makes it so easy for Satan, right? For the birds to snatch it away so that it never even has a chance to work its way into the soil and take root. The soil becomes hard when too many feet are treading on it. And so often we see that people who recklessly kind of, you know, open their hearts to all kinds of worldly people and worldly influence, they are the very people who are often in danger of developing hard hearts. Because their minds become simply set against the word of God based on just what they've been told by others about the Bible. And so these are people maybe who are in a position where they're just not going to give the Bible, they're not going to give the word of God an honest hearing. It just goes in one ear and right out the other simply because of their pride and their self-will. This is the kind of person who says, you know what? I'm pretty happy with the, my own definitions that I've developed of what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad. I'm pretty happy now with this life and the decisions that I'm producing in it. I like the, the way things are. I like the life that I'm living. I don't want anything to come along and to complicate that, even if that anything or anyone is God Almighty himself. Right? I want to live life my way, and I'm not interested in being influenced by God. I'm not interested in anyone upsetting this apple cart. That Bible stuff is for the birds. See what I did there for the birds? Right? The birds come and they pluck it away. Right? So it's sort of funny, but it's really not funny at all, is it? Because Jesus knows that the devil is there and he is very, very happy always to play his part in this kind of a life. This kind of a life where God's word is sown into a person's life, but their heart is hard. There's no way for that seed to get in. How long do you think that seed is going to stay on the pathway with a bunch of hungry birds around? The answer is not very long. They'll swoop down and they'll eat it all up. And the very same thing is true of the word of God. There is a, a, a real and demonic element there to this whole thing. And Jesus watches it and he watches this thing happen all the time in people's lives because the devil, make no mistake, the devil, he fully understands the potential of what the word of God can do in a human heart. What the word of God can do when it takes root in a heart and he understands the power of it and he knows what he needs to do to stop it. He cannot risk any more people getting changed because of the word of God. So he is very quick to come in and to steal it away, right? Stealing the seed, hardening the path through 
pride or carelessness or indifference or rebellion. It doesn't matter how the path gets hardened. He just wants it to get hardened. Now, thankfully, this first soil, a person can have a change of heart about being in this kind of a condition. And there may be some of you that sit here even now today, there may be some of us who have as a part of our history where the person Jesus is describing here is the perfect description of you, right? Or a, a description of how you once thought about God where you said, you know what, there's no way, that's all just bogus, you know, I once knew a guy who got involved in a church and those people are all charlatans and they just want, you know, whatever, whatever, right? But here's what happens. So often we start to live life a little bit longer and then pretty soon what happens? Some kind of thing comes into our life and then this other thing comes into my life and this thing kind of humbles me a little bit and this other thing kind of makes me a little softer, right? It, it makes my heart a little softer, right? The truth is that hard hearts need to be plowed up before they can receive the seed and that plowing up, if you've had that happen, it is a very painful process, amen? But both the prophets, Jeremiah and Hosea, right, both speaking to the wayward people of God, they both say, you know, thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, right? Break up those hardened hearts, do not sow among thorns, right? It's a painful process, but what happens as our hearts are kind of sometimes plowed up by life, is that it makes me a little bit more honest, right? It makes me a little bit more open. It makes me a little bit more willing maybe to realize, hey, you know what? That, all that stuff I thought about Christians, that was people, but that wasn't Jesus. And then pretty soon that person who had this heart that was maybe impenetrable, now they get to that point where they could even walk into a room like this this morning and say, you know what, I did used to be that, but I'm not that anymore, and I'm willing now at this point to give God a fair hearing from his word. So praise the Lord that he allows these kind of U-turns, right? This is the truth, and it's wonderful. He allows us to have that kind of change of mind and change of heart. And in fact, as some of us know so well, he works in our lives to bring us right toward that end. So that's the hard-hearted soil. And next, Jesus is going to describe the second kind of a hearer. He talked in the parable in verses 5 and 6 about the, the seed that fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth. Immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And so now here in verses 16 and 17, he explains, he says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately, he says, they stumble. So this is the seed, right? The word of God that falls on stony places or the stony heart, or sometimes I've heard, I like the shallow heart, right? So this pictures this, this seed that falls just kind of on a thin layer of topsoil, which is spread out 
over a bed of rocks. And this is a very common sort of a situation in Israel. Now, if you have ever been to Israel or seen documentaries about Israel or just look at pictures online of Israel, they have no shortage of rocks in Israel. Right? There's a, a story, it's not true, of course, but it's a great story of God during creation. He gave two different angels the responsibility of spreading all the rocks across the entire planet. And he gave each of them half the rocks that he wanted spread. And the first angel was obedient, and he went and spread his half of the rocks over half of the earth. But the second angel went to Israel and dumped his whole, whole load right there, all in Israel. Right? Which is only to say, you got a lot of rocks, lots of areas that are covered in rocks, where you have this bed of stones with just this thin layer of soil across the top. Now, here's the interesting thing about that kind of soil, right? As the sower throws out his seeds, right, maybe late in the winter, just before the spring, so the spring comes then, and of course, the sun starts to come out, and we know that one of the things that, remember back to sixth grade science, right? The thing that causes seeds to germinate and plants to grow is that the soil starts to warm. And when you have rock right there at the surface, it's going to absorb the heat of the sun and it's going to warm up that particular soil much more quickly. So that anything that's planted in that little layer of soil with, you know, mixed in with those stones, it is going to sprout up way faster than everything else around it. And of course, the problem is that now as the sun comes out and, and, you know, beats on it, the root system it has no root system, right? Because it's gone down into the stone, it can't draw water up, and those little sprouts just simply get scorched by the sun and they die. And of course, that's physically precisely a picture of what Jesus says happens spiritually. This kind of person only allows the word of God just the very shallowest place in their hearts. They won't allow it to go deeply into their heart and their life so they can hear the gospel message, right? They hear this offer of salvation and they're quickly kind of warmed up and they make a very emotional response to the gospel and maybe they make a profession of faith in Christ but what happens is after a few days or a few weeks, you know, for a few months, for, for that time it's like, wow, it's like the second coming of that person, right? They're, a, they're like super Christians and they're growing so fast and they're really growing faster than everyone else around them and it is so amazing and they are so excited about their new life but then some trial starts to come, right? The sun starts to beat down, things heat up a little bit, right? And then suddenly difficulty arrives and they get stumbled by it quickly and they just wither up and they fall away because they didn't have deep roots from which they could draw up the water they needed to refresh them because they made a shallow commitment to the truth of God. So they stick with the Lord as long as everything's going great in their life. And, and I think that this reminds us, this is why it's so very important to never present the gospel message, right? Don't present the way of salvation with this, you know, if you give your life to Jesus, all of your problems are going to disappear. 
You will never have another problem in your life, anything like that. You'll never experience any, because that's not the reality of what the Christian life is like, is it? There is difficulty in the Christian life. There is persecution in the Christian life. There's a, a very real spiritual warfare that comes as a part of a Christian life. Now, the Christian life is the greatest life that a person can possibly live, right? this side of eternity. But there is hardship that's involved in it. Jesus said in John 16, he said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Then what does he say? In the world you might possibly, maybe, oh no, he says you will have tribulation. He says, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And when a person becomes a Christian, they are going to start to face some difficulties that they have never faced before. Right? There will be to some level, there's some rejection by family members, rejection by friends. That's the reality of becoming a Christian, even in this country where people are somewhat sympathetic to a person becoming a Christian. Let alone cultures where you are still ostracized and cast out because of your conversion. When, when we become a Christian, the Bible is very clear, it's to be a deep, settled commitment a once-for-all settled issue, and I'm going to follow Christ no matter what kind of a commitment, right? When Jesus said, if anyone does desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He never said it would be easy. He never minimized what was required. That's what's required. No shallow commitment to him and no shallow commitment to his word as the single most influential thing in our life. And this is where I really want to challenge us in this soil this morning. And I'm going to challenge myself too, because God intends for us as Christians so that we don't become the second soil in the shallow heart. He intends for the Bible to be the single by far greatest influence in our lives to be the greatest influence on how we think and what we feel and how we process life, all of these different things. It's to be more influential to us than TV or than YouTube or than social media or than entertainment. It's to be more influential to us than any education that I may have gotten or that I'm in the process of getting. That's what God calls us to as Christians related to the word of God. That's the place that the word of God is to have in our lives. I love John chapter 15, and I love the picture of the vine. Jesus says in John 15, he says, if you abide in me, he says, and my words abide in you. And that word abide means that the word of God settles down and it makes itself fully at home in our hearts, right? Into a deep place in our hearts. And he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So this second soil, right, this heart that Jesus is talking about here, they're not doing what he talked about there, right? The seed of the word is not abiding, right? It's this person who makes this shallow commitment to the Lord. They never give the word of God that deep place in their life and the moment crisis comes into their life all it does is it exposes 
the shallowness of that commitment. It exposes the shallowness of their foundation in the word of God. So we've got the hard heart. We've got the shallow heart. Jesus continued, remember up in verse 7, he talked about some seed that fell among thorns. He said the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And now here in verse 18 and 19, he explains that these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this is the thorny soil, or I like to call it the crowded heart, right? And this is kind of a picture of a person who receives the word and takes it in, but that person never took care to remove all the weeds or the thorns out of their heart, right? You can think of this person, they just have too many kinds of seeds growing in that same soil. They've got these seeds of worldly cares and concerns, this desire for riches and this lust for things, all of which Jesus says can crowd out the good seed of the word. Now, any of you who like to garden, that's not me, but if you like to garden, you know the picture here, right? You get the ground all cleared and you get the seeds all planted and they take root and they start to grow, but then what happens? There is something in that garden that grows faster than anything else you can possibly plant, and that's weeds, right? And it's, sometimes it's prickly, thorny weeds. It's all different kinds of weeds. And pretty soon those weeds are taking up all the water and they're taking up all the light and they're taking up all the room and they just choke out any kind of maturity that was happening among the planted plants that you put in there on purpose, right? Choking out the seed of the word that's been sown. And spiritually speaking, again, it's this person who hears the word and maybe it even starts to have an influence in their life, but it's not the primary influence in their life and so the word gets choked out by the the cares of the world and notice Jesus says it's the deceitfulness or the lies of riches and I will tell you one of the biggest lies that riches will tell us is that purpose and meaning and fulfillment in our life can be found in material things remember riches lie. That's what Jesus declares here. And here's the really interesting thing about this kind of a person who has this kind of a heart is that most often they will agree wholeheartedly with the Bible. They like the Bible. They like church. They like Bible studies. They would even probably defend the Bible if somebody spoke badly of it at work. They like theology. They like the truth of the Bible. They like all of those things but they just like other things a little bit more, right? They're just not willing to kind of submit to the word. They're not willing to have it become the priority that God intends it to be in their lives. They like the word, but they like living for the world. They like the creature comforts of the material things more than they value the word of God, whether it's money or power or position or pleasures. They like those things just a little bit more than the word of God. And so they're simply not willing to do what Jesus commanded us in Matthew 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these other things will be added 
to you. They're not willing to simply seek first the kingdom of God, right? To make the word of God the priority and then just to trust God that he will add all of those other things to our lives that he knows can and should be added to our lives the way Jesus calls us to do. And we see it all the time, especially living where we do here in the Silicon Valley. You see a person that's really starting to grow in the word of God and they're at everything they can be at. And then pretty soon though, you don't see them so much at the midweek Bible study. And then over time, you start not to see them in your weekly small group. And then eventually they're not even really consistent being at church every Sunday morning. And then you run into them somewhere and you say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And they say, well, you know, I got this promotion at work. And, you know, it's really re requiring a lot of me right now, but it's really key for my career. And, and they go into this whole thing. So I just needed to kind of take a step back, you know, from church. But I think it should only be a couple of years three years, maybe, but you're going to see me back, right? I'm going to have everything all situated and I will be back. You'll see me again. It's for sure. I love the word. They say, trust me, there's nothing like the word. But then what happens is what God's getting all the leftovers. And you guys all know as well as I do how it works. Pretty soon there's not even leftovers left over for God. And that's the way that it goes. And it's the nicest people in the world. They don't have a doctrinal problem with the Bible. They just don't really want to obey the Bible. They don't want to put it first in their lives. They're too busy, too distracted by all of these different things. It, it's not like these people are involved in some botched up lifestyle. It's not like they're out there like career criminals or anything. But this is what this gets them. Right? This is what it gets in their life to the point, Jesus says here, where their life is making as little a dent for the kingdom of God as any pagan that you'd want to name. Look what he said in verse 7. He said that the seed that's in this soil yielded how much crop? No crop. Nothing. Because the word was choked out by all of those other things. So we've got the hard heart, we've got the shallow heart, we've got the crowded heart, and then finally up in verse 8, Jesus talked about the other seed that fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Finally now in verse 20, he explains that these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So now here's the fourth soil. Jesus describes it as the good ground. We might even, just for lack of a better word, call it the good heart, right? The good ground refers to this ground that's been well-plowed and it's well-prepared to receive the seed. And spiritually speaking, of course, this is this person who's eager to hear the word of God and eager to really give it that proper place of priority and, and of primacy in their lives. They say, you know what, you just tell me what it is Jesus says, and I will give it a deep, rich, uncrowded place in my heart. Because the word of God and, and hearing his word and understanding his will, that's the most important thing to me in my life. That's the heart that I'm going to bring to the word, and that's the heart that Jesus is describing with this fourth soil. And what's the evidence? 
that a person receives the word of God with that kind of heart? Well, look, Jesus tells us it's fruit. Fruit, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Well, what kind of fruit? Well, number one, they're going to commit their life to Jesus Christ. Right? They're going to make him their savior and their Lord. And as a result of that, there's going to start to be change in their life as the spirit then comes into their life and produces change in their life. Right? The spirit is going to produce this fruit in their life. He's going to produce the fruit of the spirit in their life. Now, maybe you're like me because I used to read this parable and I used to think or assume that this fruit that he's talking about was mainly about, you know, like doing things for God, right? The thing, important things like evangelism, you know, leading people to Jesus or serving in the church, right? And, and those things are all good things. They might be connected to fruit, right? At some point, they might be a manifestation of fruit, but that's not the primary thing that's being talked about when this fruit is being born from the seed of the word. Remember Jesus said in that same picture in John 15, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him does what? Bears much fruit. So what's the fruit? Well, he's the vine, we're the branch, right? We're drawing our life out of the vine and what's, what's going to come out of the fruit of the branch that's drawing its life and its nourishment from Jesus? Well, what's going to come out is the fruit of Christ-likeness. Right? So this is what happens when the life of God is planted in a human soul, is that the likeness of God now starts to be manifest in us and then through us. So fruitfulness is basically Christ-likeness. You see that? This is where Paul talked about, remember he talks to the Corinthians about us being transformed into the image of Jesus. He says, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So who's the one doing the transforming? It's the Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And so the fruit of the Spirit is going to be the life of the Spirit. And we know what that looks like, right? Paul told us in Galatians chapter 5, he walks us right through the fruit of the Spirit. Say it with me. It's up there if you don't have it memorized. He says the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, I can't hear you, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You thought Don Jay was up here for a minute, right? But that's the fruit, isn't it? That's what we're talking about seeing start to really manifest itself in our lives and to manifest itself 30-fold and 60-fold and then 100-fold because it should just be increasing as our lives go on with the Lord. So this fruit is primarily about our Christ-like character. It's about us becoming like Jesus in the way that we think and the way that we behave. It's character formation so our lives look more and more like his life. So that's this, the parable of the soils, right? The very first parable in this, this foundation of all of the kingdom parables, Jesus is revealing all these different ways that a crowd will possibly respond to the word of God, right? These four basic 
kinds of hearts that are associated with any group that gathers, whether it's 2,000 years ago or it's gathered together even now this morning in this room. Right? There are hard hearts, there are shallow hearts, there are crowded hearts, and there are good hearts. Right? Good soil that's going to bear much fruit. And before we're tempted to think that the good soil is just for the people who have good hearts, right? Those are just the, the somehow the good people. Can I just remind you that the Bible doesn't teach that there are good people, right? In fact, the Bible teaches that there are no good people, right? Paul said in Romans that there's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus said that no one is good but one, and that is God. We are all sinners, so in, the, in one sense, I think in the strictest sense, we can say that it's not inherently the soil itself that makes the difference here because the soil is always essentially the same. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody in this room is a sinner. And if you're not a sinner, you don't need to be here and you can go. You're dismissed. For everybody else though, right? To quote from Jeremiah, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, right? And so is yours and so is everybody else's. So then the question is, how do we get to be like good soil? Well, I think what we're really looking at when we look at these four different kinds of hearers, we are looking simply at the depth of the entry of the seed. It's all about the depth to which the word of God is received into our human hearts, right? Just how deep will each of us allow the word to penetrate into us? Right? Again, every single one of us in this room, we are one of those four hearers from the vantage point of heaven. And if any one of us are one of the first three soils that Jesus said it's really good not to be, Right? If, if we're hard soil or shallow soil or crowded soil, if we're one of those three soils, and yet this morning you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I have been that, but I don't want to be that anymore. I'm willing now to listen to him and I'm willing to allow his word to penetrate really deeply into my heart. I have been that other heart right up until this moment sitting here, but I don't want to be that person anymore. And the beautiful thing about the Lord is that he is so big and he is so powerful and he is so loving and he is so caring. He is so merciful and gracious that he can make all of that change in an instant. And anyone who wants to move from any one of those conditions into that place of having a heart that's open and it's ready for the word, that can happen in an instant of time. And how do we do it? We simply repent. We simply have a change of mind about how it is that we're receiving God's truth. A change of mind about how it is that we regard the word of God and we just open up our hearts for that seed to start abiding deeply and we begin to give the word of God that place of primacy and priority. And when we do, we find that everything all of a sudden breaks loose, loose in a beautiful way. But it can happen in an instant. We can go from a one to a four or a two to a four or a three to a four in a moment of time. 
because God's got the grace for that. And he's got the power for that. And he's got it right here in this room this morning. Because when we do that, when we allow the seed to penetrate deep, deep down, we now have everything that we need. Because as we close, I love this image of the word of God as a seed. Because really, a seed is everything you need. Right? Think about it. Every single seed that's found in nature, it has all of the information in it that is needed to reproduce that plant and ultimately its fruit. You know, whatever you see, you have, whatever seed you have, you put it in the ground and it is ultimately going to produce that same thing because the life of the plant or of the fruit, it's all right there in the seed, right? All of the DNA is right there. And all that seed needs to do is find some good soil. Once it finds good soil, that life is automatically going to come forward. And in the very same way, the seed here of the word of God, the seed of the word of God contains the life of God. And then that is reproduced in the hearts and the lives of those people who simply allow it to plant itself deeply within them. Right? It says in the book of Hebrews that God's word is living and it's powerful. And this seed of the word of God, it has power in it to reproduce the life of God in our lives. It has incredible, unstoppable power. Just like that tiny little seed of an acorn, you've seen it, right? It can burst its way right through a sidewalk that gets laid over the top of it. And just like that little acorn can burst through a concrete sidewalk, when the word of God enters the heart and the life of God gets planted deeply within us, all of a sudden the power of God really starts to work out that thing in our lives and it can bust through years and years and layers of layers of hard concrete in your life. Right, People, relationships, marriages that are so bound up in sin and seemingly irreparable and they're beyond the grasp of the reach of any kind of real help or transformation, the word of God can change that. It has the power to do that because there's this dynamic power of God himself that has come into that life. As the word of God starts to really permeate and then it works its way out of that very same person simply because they allowed it to have this deep, deep entry into their hearts. And that seed with all of the information that was needed, the life of God itself, it found good soil. Amen? So, Father, we thank you, Lord, so much. We thank you for your word as we do each and every time we read it, Lord. It just astounds us the way that you are so merciful, Lord, and gracious to us, the way that you love us so much. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word, and we thank you for what it can do in each one of our lives. And we pray, Lord, even right now this morning, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be good soil. Lord, help us to open our hearts deeply so that your, the seed of your word can penetrate uh, deep down into the recesses of our heart, Lord, and come bursting forth with that new life. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we do it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.